0: Hello and welcome to Automate It, our weekly podcast where we talk about building robots. I am Stefan Seltz Oxemacher, the name that is so short, so memorable that you absolutely know how to pronounce it every single time. With me is my co founder and co host, Ilya Baranov. Ilya, could you speak or do I just speak for you as C- CEO? Well, I'm just the puppet master behind the strings. <laughs> the strings seem very frayed. <laughs> For those of you who are just joining us for the the first time, at Automated, we we talk about building robots, how we've built robots before, and we start off with a game that I I really love where we draw two cards out of a deck, one of which has a technology on it that we either have to fit into a solution or that we might. The other is a setting. And the way to think about this is to imagine two co-founders teaming up. Where one of them has some business insights into a particular setting or a market, and the other is a CTO who has some technology they're desperate to use, or sometimes absolutely would despise and never use. There's no point of it. It's super overhyped. Ilya, why don't you draw the, uh, the setting card for us? All right. Let's see here. We got senior care. Senior care. Man, so my, as a disclaimer, my wife works in senior care. I have talked to a number of folks about robots in senior care, and uh, this will be fun. And we have on the other side teleoperation, the classic mix. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. I, th- I, th- I think there's a couple of ways that we could go here. I mean, the the most serious could be senior care robots that are teleoperated from some lower labor cost place. That that seems like a real business, or better than that. I think we could look at, you know, every five minutes we talk about the end of Social Security in America. And, like, you know, these seniors, they go putzing around working 60, 80 hours for their whole life. They decide at 75 they want to retire and enjoy, you know, a fleeting couple of minutes with the grandkids. But, like, they're no longer working. And if you're not working, you know, I don't know.
1: What's the point? So why don't we use seniors as teleoperators? I was going to say, we should flip the script. Yeah. I was totally thinking, I wasn't thinking quite so capitalistic hellscape. <laughs> Just thinking <forward laughs> along the lines of maybe vacations for people who have reduced mobility with kind of a VR standpoint. Yeah. yeah let's, let's go with the capitalist hellscape.
0: Yeah, part. let's go with the capitalist hellscape. I mean, I think, like, the thing is, so for those of you who don't know, Life in a senior care facility is really expensive. So when when my wife first moved out here to San Francisco, the senior care facility that she worked in was charging, I want to say like eight to ten thousand dollars per bed per month for an assisted living facility. And that's not a place with like nurses and doctors. That's a place where like there's a nurse's assistant who hands you the medicine and they play old polka
1: on the on the stereogram. That's why uh, cruise ships are so popular. <laughs> By comparison, they seem quite cheap. So if you think about it, like let's say you know you've
0: your you're between your family wealth, your life savings, you have a measly you know six hundred thousand dollars. That's not going to last you very long if you intend to not croak in the next three to four eight months. So these seniors, they need to teleoperate. Like, how else are they going to pay
1: their denture bills? It's going to be an interesting case because. You need a task which requires a human touch, but doesn't require really quick response rates. So, to be fair, I mean, like, teleops never really that
0: good in in high response rates. Like, no matter what, you're going to see 100 milliseconds of latency. Yeah. So, like, yeah, maybe, like, you can drive at up to, like, 20, 25 miles an hour. But, like, it's never really, like, steering the motorcycle around the racetrack at 80 miles an hour. No, so I feel like actually like the seniors aren't going to be that like taken away from that disabled by by having slower reaction time than that a fifteen year old teleoperator in Paraguay
1: yeah, that's true i I think the the other problem though is the the inherent nausea with any kind of VR system or any of that stuff mm-hmm. the VR systems
0: like yeah, honestly when we did when we did teleop at starsky, we found that drivers ended up feeling nausea, having having trouble, feeling a bit disoriented after two, three hours of of really high stakes, high speed teleop. So my guess is it's not so much uh, a high speed you have to be on all the time type of teleop scenario. It might actually be more of, you know, maybe autonomy gets you, and maybe maybe it's say like a robot in a hospital or a robot in a hotel, places where people love the idea of robots. And then you have a senior who's telling
1: telling people how to get around a hotel. It, it, it could be that. It could be even in that case. What you're really getting at, I think, is is human supervision of automated tasks. Yeah. So what you really want is you want kind of human judgment to come in once in a while, and mm-hmm. most of the time the system is tell is operating itself. But once in a while it gets stuck. Yeah. And you need a human to come in and say, you know what? Yes, this is you should do this now because the door is jammed. Go call for help.
0: I do feel like we're getting closer and closer into real business. Yes. Because now that I think about it, I remember hearing a teleoperated robot where they, the pitch was seniors. Yeah. That's deliberately not part of this segment. It's not
1: supposed to be as serious. No. Yeah. Let's get back to capitalist hellscape. Yeah. Capitalist uh, hellscape. Uh, so uh, here's, here's you know, being a Canadian, uh-huh. uh, American politics are pretty interesting to me. So Because they're perfect and, and, and ideal in every way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, with all the voter intimidation that's been happening in some states, <laughs> we could have predominantly brain-leaning seniors automate <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah, we could just take the bomb disposal robots and uh, anywhere where you're, let's say, just to make up a thing that would never happen. Anywhere where, say, it's illegal to hand out water to people waiting in line to vote, you can just have the bomb disposal robot mow people down.
1: <laughs> like, you know, if that- she, that's a good point. Is it
0: illegal for people to hand out waters? I, you know, I don't know. I have to check the Georgia, uh, I mean, Georgia, the country, and a on, on who can or cannot hand out water. And and I think actually we're we're opening into an interesting area. Let's say you make it the chat roulette of, of teleoperation, where the teleoperator is paired with a random device for, say, until they want to pick away you'd have kind of complete plausible deniability of whether it was your fault or somebody else's that whenever you did. So you could interact with the physical world and then kind of just, you know, throw your hands up in the air and blame, I don't know, the blockchain that assigns you to that particular robot
1: and no doubt <laughs> ever no. It's got to be blockchain. It's Always. You need the block. This is a great use case for blockchain. I, I heard this really great coin, FTX, we should probably <laughs> hand it <laughs> for this endeavor. Yeah, no, less accountability for, for teleoperation.
0: Actually, I mean like I mean coming coming up you know, coming back towards something that might be real but still not is living vicariously through robots. So not so much like a VR type of headset thing of like go see Paris. What I mean is again, palm disposal robot <laughs> drives around the Elise, whatever really freaks out a lot of people including uh, ironically probably some other seniors while all some blue hair in florida is having the time of her life doing the trip she never got to do
1: that's yeah yeah and then there's a full american you know the army helps you get where you want to go in life kind of angle that we should we should think about i think
0: the va actually so like not a lot of people want to sell weaponized robots to the military Kind of maybe the way that you breached that subject initially is you can sell sell non-weaponized robots to the VED and give old veterans the ability to travel around the world on treaded vehicles. They're pretty light; they only weigh like one to four tons. lot to drive around the sidewalks of Europe and and Georgia uh, and of anywhere else
1: they are interested in. Bring freedom wherever they go. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, that got dark.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what other teleoperation case could
0: you have? I mean so I would, so to go, to talk about the serious one people who work in senior living facilities are actually incredibly hard to staff this is a hard job that is relatively thankless many of the companies that run these senior living facilities are are real estate investment trusts with a couple of extra wrinkles around it so they end up being very bottom line focused they hire a bunch of blue collar workers they're paying somewhere between minimum wage and like, you know, top end retail wages. So like, let's say in between a McDonald's and a Best Buy, but it's a job that you need special licensing for. When when my wife was managing a bunch of people who had this job, many of them would actually have like two full-time jobs. They'd be working like 60, 80 hours a week and seeing their senior care job as kind of like the way they were giving back. Because many of them were from cultures that put a lot of value in taking care of seniors and and doing things like that. So, I mean, I think like what you could, if you were willing to make it a cross border teleoperation system, you really could have people from like Paraguay, Bolivia, Ecuador, Peru, who would just be stoked to give back to an older generation, would be really happy to make the six or seven dollars an hour that that system could pay them probably because Let's say the system's earning 16, 17 dollars an hour, four to four to six dollars is profit, the next six is for the robot, the next six is for the teleoperator, and that's hard. So that adds up to more than sixteen dollars. But you could you would have a system like that and, and and end up having like not senior care that could solve all problems, but probably actually you could do some stuff that people can't currently do. Hey. And the in-person caregivers could spend more of their
1: time. Focusing on face-to-face connections and, and adding face-to-face value. I mean, I think I think the thing you got to think about is how are you defining care, right? Because if you if you have to do any kind of manipulation task, you immediately blow the cost of the robot. Yeah, like if it's a screen on wheels, yeah, it's a few thousand bucks in production. A double robot. Yeah, right. If it's if it's anything that has to pick stuff up, yeah. it's immediately a hundred bucks. Well,
0: I don't think I want a robotic arm capable of moving engine blocks picking up grandma but i don't i don't know if like that is if that is quite interesting because grandma is a little frail and with whatever 800 you know pounds per square inch torque whatever grandma is not doing so well if there's a bit of controls issues
1: yeah and there's always controls issues no but i mean even just picking up basic stuff right? right. Like, like you know bring me a glass of water sort of thing but you could use it as a force multiplier where you still have a few humans around, but you have kind of gopher bots. Like, what's, what's, yeah, I mean, you can use
0: them as gopher bots. You could use them as cameras on wheels to check in on people and see if they're doing well. Then, as a result, you, you do check-ins on an hour basis, whereas right now it might be three or four hours
1: because a lot of bad things can happen in the extra two to three hours. So, I mean, I feel, you know, pretty reasonably, people will be uncomfortable with robots checking in on them, right? I don't know. How, how, how I, I'd really love to hear listeners, if, if anybody out there wants to reach out to us, how has even just telepresence taken off with with the senior care kind of case? Because is it very used to, assuming somebody sets it up for you so you don't have to worry about it, Yeah, it just works. I mean, I you know, know, I, don't know just just I see it's from Facebook who would never lie to me.
0: That the the Facebook telepresence thing always has a picture of a senior talking to
1: their grandkids. There's their kids. And, and if it's in an ad, it, it must be true. I mean, Facebook only ever lies about election.
0: <laughs> We're getting more of the little political today. I mean, to that end, I know I know many people who, in COVID, like like seniors, very much quickly grabbed onto things like Zoom, things like whatever. I, in fact, my mom, my mom, who is now technically a senior, got very into Zoom very quickly and had all the nice things to say about it. Of you know, I now I can talk to this person, now I can talk to that person.
1: So really, what you're saying is, is you want a telepresence system where seniors can visit each other. That sounds
0: <laughs> like a thing <please laughs> that exists. Well, no, more more of my point is that with really good robots, like with, and I'm not saying really good like C-3PO. I'm saying really good like a double robot with an iPad on a, on, a, on a set of wheels. That kind of makes it so that you don't have to learn a new UI. You don't have to learn how to use a thing. There's just suddenly a face looking at you and there's a camera attached to that face and you can talk to a person. I think that is not too terrifying, not too dystopian, and means that like that senior is gonna see a lot more faces. They're gonna they're gonna have a lot more human interaction. Yeah. And, can- and frankly, that like if the person on that particular iPad wants to spend seven minutes talking to the, the person in that in that particular room who either has a problem or just wants to say something or whatever, they can do that without being told like they need to hit up the next 25 rooms by the end of their shift, which is supposed to be 15 minutes from now. Yeah. Cause I imagine it doesn't feel nice to be in your golden years. Try to tell an interesting story to this nice guy who works in the facility that you live in and him say, yep, yep, yep. That's so great. Mr. Stafford. I need to leave cause my kids also want to see me. So like, Unless you are having an episode, I'm out of your room now. Whereas if that guy's shift could end after our conversation and someone else could be on another double robot to check in on the other 15 seniors, that might be kind of a best best of all worlds.
1: And I think the best way to prototype it is with these bomb disposal robots. (laughs) Just bash down.
0: You know, the first folks aren't going to be too robot friendly. So you have to make sure that the robot's tough enough to
1: survive. That's right. <laughs> Survival of the robot friendliest.
0: I'm just going to say, the food at my grandmother's senior living facility was not very good. I think Bombs is pretty close to it. Oh, God. <laughs> and with that, we will transition to talking to, to real robots that we worked on. Um, while we've probably alienated all of our listeners over the age of 74. <laughs> I'm very sorry, Gladys. I'm very sorry, Ethel. And uh, Mr. Johnson, I know we're not on the first day basis yet, but I hope you keep on listening to the podcast. To move on from there, what well, we're going to talk today about a robot that you worked on that I always thought was a really interesting idea.
1: Yeah, we affectionately named it FANGO after the FANUC Arb. was well,
0: well, to Well, to, to, zoom, to zoom out, before before we get to the naming part, which is the most important part of any robot, I guess like to, to play to as play similar as we play our cards, what was what was the point of this overall project? What was the what was the set of technologies you guys were looking at using? And then like let's kind of work our way to what you guys built.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this this is a trade show machine, which at Clearpath for, for trade shows we've always wanted to have a nice little demo. In this particular year, what was taking I, off was and,
0: and, and like to, to dive into that a little bit, a hard thing about robots, as as we both know, is like these things don't work all the time. And the most valuable ones Look pretty boring you know, after the first five seconds. So building something that is actually demonstrable, that fits in a trade show. And also like when it comes to what you could do in a trade show, like yeah, I don't know, how how much time like you've worked a lot of shows when you're like running around the world in clear path. The average group of people who walk up to your booth, how long are they there for?
1: You got maybe anywhere between ten seconds that they're walking by and just want to say hello. And up to five minutes if they really want to figure out what's starting. So
0: probably a three-mile-per-hour drive around coastal California is off the table.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I probably won't get you the response. Okay. For it. Okay.
0: So the, the problem set that then becomes like, what can you, like, package up? that is visually interesting, Yeah, fits with it, I don't know, how, how, big, how big is it with? 10 feet by 10 feet?
1: That's about looks right. okay. that's, that's about the scale. You can also get a double 10 by 20, but generally 10 by 10. Okay.
0: So yeah, you got a hundred square feet. You need to catch someone's attention in 10 seconds. Ideally someone who doesn't have a PhD in robotics because whatever show you go to, there's not many of those. <laughs>
1: I think I think the robotics trade shows that we went to have a ratio of, <laughs> of you know, uh, robotic species. I think that year, what the trend had been with the success of Universal Robots, which makes a bunch of kind of human collaborative or cobot arms, a lot of other players were were looking to get into human collaborative space. Okay, and so at the time, to- what's that? What's that name? Human collaborative. Yeah. So so that basically means that your your robot won't kill you, first of all. Well it's probably yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard Asimov not pro robot killing you. <laughs> yeah, definitely the easiest thing to code up is Asimov's laws.
0: I just don't know why you can't work on a positronic brain. Yeah. I've been I've been asking this. I've been doing a request for developers. No one seems to have positronic brain experience. It's in our backlog. <laughs> it <never makes> sense.
1: <laughs> So, so, but more than that, what you want is a system that will injure you, and that makes yeah. a little bit trickier, especially for arms. One is you just get a lot of kinetic energy if the arm's spinning around and it's about to hit someone. How hard can an arm hit you before you? Uh, it's, it's an ouchie. Uh, I I don't know the exact number, but I was mean, hoping for like a three. Yeah, any yeah. signer, but The main problem between like a human bumping between, uh, beside you and and an arm is that the arm is made out of steel. Yep. And intends to move quite a lot faster. I don't know how many people made a deal. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a, a side note, but but a funny problem with using robot arms for dealing with cell culture is robot arms accelerate so quickly that they kill <laughs> everything they're trying to move in the little Petri dish. So that's really what makes them dangerous as well, is that their acceleration is so high that they get a lot of kinetic energy really quickly in a tiny amount of space. Their hardness combined with their speed, can be yeah. pretty dangerous. But that's that's only the first step. The second thing mm-hmm. is you have pinch points, okay. And so you really don't want a finger caught between two joints where it will get crushed. Yep. Because even at low speeds, you can that yep. you can easily do
0: that. So the the trend of the time was human robot collaborative things. Yes. And you want it to be visually stimulating, relatively quickly. It, it's supposed to be an arm. Yeah. But I guess like what what are the different ideas? Like I, I think of like. You always see things like robots playing ping pong. Recently, a company was founded out of MongoDB founder uh, Elliot Horowitz's desire to have a to play chess with a robot arm. What were the early ideas you guys were interested in?
1: Yeah, so we we in particular, Chris was working with Fanuc, who had just released their kind of one of their robot arms. They're a big manufacturer mm-hmm. in the robot arm space. Primarily, they make arms for industrial use cases. Okay. Really heavy, really big. Robots, acid blocks, and grandma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to our earlier discussion. <laughs> yeah, they make really, really fast stuff. So this is their first, well, maybe not their first, but one of their early approaches to human collaborative robots. Kind of fun note, the way that they did it is they didn't want to retrofit the arm itself because that'd be expensive and would take a lot of design. So instead of that, they mounted a really accurate force sensor under the arm, and at any given moment as the arm moves, it would predict how much force it should see at the base. Yeah. And if it saw more or less than that, it knew that it was doing something wrong, that it would stop. So it's so, basically a doer checker architecture for for speed of movement. Yeah, for, for, for inertia. Yeah, Even for more, inertia. More than speed of movement, it's yeah. for inertia. So so it, it, so it that's an interesting case where instead of trying to put force sensors at every joint, they had yeah. a big one at the base. Yeah, on. yeah. It was kind of a clever solution because they don't have to make a new skew. They only had to basically change the paint color from, from the red to green. Yeah. To indicate on the green, Green's
0: a great green. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so we knew, we knew we wanted to use that. That was a kind of our partner for the year. And the other thing we, we wanted to use was the Ridgeback base, which at the time was relatively new. It's kind yep. of an omnidirectional base. Kind of stick the two together. What's something interesting we could do? My general manager at the time really wanted to drive around the robot have it hit symbols to let people know that it was the time for the next talk that <laughs> didn't seem like driving nice around stuff. the trade show floor yeah it yeah. Didn't <laughs> mean, <laughs> but i did been driving mean, around the trade show floor with
0: something that looks like a hammer yeah yeah that's yeah. one way to get through it, yeah. analysis, it. <laughs> very very safe
1: <laughs> and so one of them was hitting symbols what, what else was there the other one with, which we ended up going with was actually having it draw something I mean, that scene was pretty easy. I remember
0: watching Bicentennial Man. I I recall Robin Williams as a robot drawing things. He was pretty fast at it. How hard can that be? Like, what were you? Were you just drawing like figure eights or, or, or my favorite, the S sign that we all grew up with?
1: Yeah, I I started off the project thinking that I could make it draw realistically. And that was like quickly, you know, classic <laughs> engineered, like <laughs> oh yeah, Helfer is art, like, whatever. Not uh, big. no, very hard. <laughs> so I, I really wanted to to kind of drive around the the conference room, and take photos of people and, and give out a little business card with their with their drawing kind of photo and our and little logo. Started off the project saying, Okay, let's let's draw people, and then I realized. Turning a photo into a series of motion.
0: Well, yeah, it's mean, pretty guess, hard. I guess actually, what, is, what I'm interested in that, like, how's so you how's if they have a trial? I guess like, what tool do you use yeah. to turn that yeah. to what this drawing should look like? Yeah, let alone the motion planet. Exactly. Like, is there is there a tool that's like Matrixify my face, no. but like turn into shitty line, line drawing
1: yeah i i i wish there was i <laughs> i tried a few different approaches you know I, again i thought it would be easy but first approach i did is, is i took the photo and i and i did edge detection standard machine vision tool kind of look at differences where the the end of the person or, or where's there where's there's features on the face so yeah. any edge right eyes edge of eyes edge of nose edge of ears Okay, so great. I have these edges now. Now how do I draw them? Yep. Right. So now I have a, a 2D image of pixels of black or white, either edges or no edges. But I still don't know how to turn that into frames
0: but... were just a, a
1: very light outline. Well, that's that's what I thought. That was my first attempt. Okay. Right? Okay. But then I still realized I haven't actually made my problem that much easier cuz now I have edges, I have less data but I don't have data to still turn this into motion. <laughs> so my second attempt, I, I luckily stumbled onto a really fun library that would represent an arbitrary photo as a collection of different colored triangles. Okay. So it's basically turning it into a mesh, and so it can build it can build an image and transfer it into a SVG file, which is standard internet file for graphics for vector graphics. And the nice thing about vector graphics is it actually defines, it tells you, here's a line and here's how big it is, which is something that's starting to approach motion planning. Yeah. Right. And so this this file would take a photo, turn into triangles. Great. But the triangles, the way that it built the photo was actually filled in colored triangles, which if I told the robot arm to fill in a triangle with a pen, would take like three hours (laughs) per photo. Yeah. I, I took that, I, I made it draw just the outlines and it ended up with like a roughly impressionistic photo of the person. And then say if someone wanted to Google and find
0: the, all these photos and what they look like, what will they search for?
1: Yeah, I think it's still on the Clear Bath Erotics product page or, or blog page of Fango. Okay. I'm sure you could find it. There's a little video of it doing a high-speed sketch of me. But yeah, once once I landed on this impressionistic style of these triangles, I had my starting and ending point for each triangle. I could translate that 2D plane into motion plans for the robot, and then the Phoenix software was good because I could just say start and end at these locations in 3D space, and it yep. would figure out how to move the arm to do it. Well, safe. I guess also what what uh, what drawing tool was was it using? Just a pen. There was a pen on the end of the arm, mm-hmm. and it would tell the Finuc arm apply a certain amount of pressure on this plane, and move through. I guess like how how tightly controlled was the apply this
0: much pressure? Because I feel like. I feel like the safety things that would stop you from breaking someone's arm are still tolerant of snapping the head off a pen.
1: Yeah. So we cheated a little bit. Okay. That's oh. always, always the rule for good demos is you for, cheat. We're things, just for robots. Yeah. For robots. robots. Robots is the cheating industry. Don't tell your
0: spouses. It's the only way to go. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> so basically, what we did is the pen was mounted on a very small spring. And so we always had a little bit of leeway. And so the spring would always apply kind of a constant pressure and the arm could be off by three or four millimeters and the pen would still touch the page. I wonder how many people have this picture framed in their house. Hopefully everyone one of the So I, I worked I worked at it. I got it down to about three minutes per person. Okay. Which was within that kind of attention well, span window. And came. like let's let's talk through that pipeline. So what year roughly was this? Ish? 2015. Okay.
0: Yep. So 2015, maybe you have like a point great camera or do you have like what? Cheapo USB webcam. Okay. So cheapo USB cam is mounted
1: somewhere like just like in the booth? Nope. Right on the robot. The robot would rove and take photos of people.
0: It was, it was actually roving, taking that's cool in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what was it following a person with an offset?
1: No, it would randomly walk until somebody would see the little placard on it that said, press this button to take a, to get a sketch, and then people would press the button and that would trigger the operation of take a photo, look for the face using standard yeah. machine learning face tools. So all this was on a mobile robot battery yeah. powered. Yeah. Okay. So the robot would rove around the conference, and it would take photos. And like, what what what's the base of the vehicle again? It's a it's a it's a clear path. A Ridgeback.
0: Okay, it's an uh, omnidirectional robot. Okay. Well, then like, how what what, what are like
1: the, the dimensions of a Ridgeback? How big is this robot? Four feet by four feet by okay. two feet tall. So you wouldn't want to share an elevator with it. You could squeeze in.
0: Yeah, but it wouldn't. You know, uh, I it, it wouldn't be comfortable. It, it wouldn't be a friendly elevator to paint it. So it's it's a four foot by four foot omnidirectional robot. It's got an arm. Does it does it have anything else? A beret? Does it maybe have an accent that makes me feel like it's doing me a favor by drawing me instead of like me as the art, the inspiration? Any any other pieces of uh, flair? We did 3D
1: print one ear. Okay. From the Inspiration go <laughs> So there was a 3D printed ear stuck on the side of it, I remember. And that gets decided as, did, did people notice that or did that get... I don't think people noticed it. I, th- okay. I think maybe one or two people got the joke, but it was kind of a small detail. It would have been better if like,
0: after after drawing a particularly stressful person, it just like ripped one of its ears off and hopped at the person. <laughs> as we discussed earlier, robots throwing things at people are probably... Probably doing. a bad idea. Yeah, that's Not the good luck. Okay, so this pre-roving four-foot-by-four-foot four robot has an arm. It has a, a cheapo USB camera on it. It's
1: it's roving around. Like What, what speed are we talking? Like half a mile, an hour, a mile? An hour? very slow. Okay. Yeah, it has two LiDARs on the base. And it was right. very basic, Ross-based navigation, yep. get from point A to point B, and very, very slow. Just because there wasn't really a, a case for having it. Quickly. And was there a person walking alongside it or? yeah? Was, okay. Oh, okay. Generally there was a person there at the nanny. It. I don't honestly, I don't remember if, if anybody had to intervene, but I yeah. was surprised because it was just in very basic back and
0: forth yeah. motion. So it had a sign that said like, I'm going to draw a picture of you. And you know, the average person was probably responding only draw me wearing this, this diamond necklace. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a crossover between Van Gogh and Titanic. <laughs> yeah. So a user walks up, pushes a button.
1: How'd you how'd you target the camera at that point? So there there's a little display that would show what the robot would see. So you have to get uh, your your head in code. the in the frame. Yeah, use the humans wherever you can. Another cheat code, like why not why not just just to just to talk to that decision there? Why not just have the camera point itself at the person? You could. the The, the fun thing about this one was the algorithm I was running for detecting the face to draw it was a very very basic face detection algorithm. And in a crowd, it would very likely pick out somebody who's not the face that you actually want. Yeah. So I added on- It has a, it has a it's a bit more ominous if the robot draws a picture of somebody. Somebody else. Like, yeah, go after this one. Exactly. Yeah. So very simple heuristic, it would just pick the biggest face it saw in the scene. As a person with a very large head, I
0: feel, I feel like I would be- uh, Personally targeted? Yeah, personally targeted, drawn frequently. Not, I don't know if I feel like I'd prefer that. Exactly. So you click the button, it it targets the biggest head, and then it it immediately runs the
1: face to triangles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it runs this open source, I forgot the name of it, honestly, but it was an open source little SVG generator that then I would desaturate, pick the top 30% biggest triangles, Mm -hmm. and then draw out those triangles. I mean, did it look much more real with all the triangles, or... Why'd you pick thirty? the 30% biggest triangle? Because I I, I wanted it to finish within uh, a few minutes, okay. right? I didn't want it spending hours to- did, did you see like an increase in how good the picture looks, to have more triangles? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It got more and more realistic. I mean, it never got picture perfect. It yeah. was kind of an impressionist sort of painting. Yeah, people don't say that we are made of butt triangles. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, okay, so pick the first 30% to stay within that five-minute time window. So now you have your drawing what's the next part of the
1: pipeline so the next part is now now have a svg which actually is a file format that tells me start endpoints for a bunch of lines then i translate that to lines to actually coordinates in 3d space for the arm to move up and down yep i forget actually if i mounted the yeah i think i mounted the easel i was drawing at because it was a fixed easel yeah a little bit on an angle okay i'm like just so it looks nice Uh, and then i just had a little bit of math to translate just up and down left and right motion to a little bit of depth motion as well what was
0: the full range of
1: motion of the arm i mean like i mean imagine you just limited it so it wasn't going drawing on people's drawing triangles on people's real faces yeah no 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 attacking real humans we had it we had to kind of stay within a a roughly one foot by one foot box
0: yeah and I imagine that one foot by one foot box is in the middle of the, the, the clear path vehicle, meaning that
1: nobody could physically walk within it. Exactly. Also bad to draw on people's legs. They don't care for that. Yeah, but I mean, the, the bigger risk is when you're doing arm motion planning, there's this idea of inverse kinematics. Okay. So that's Let's where, yeah, so, so that's basically where I know where the end of my pen needs to be for my okay. drawing, but I don't know exactly what each joint of my arm needs to do.
0: I don't know about you, but I always think about my joints when I uh when you draw and move. Yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. As a human, if you reach for something, you don't think like I'm gonna move my elbow 10 degrees. What you're thinking is I'm gonna reach this point and your joints kind of sort of figure it out. Yeah. I mean that's where the compute is. Well, that's that's what the brain's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so the equivalent to that for robotics is inverse kinematics, where you know your endpoint and you kind of solve the problem of where your joints seem to be. The problem is with inverse kinematics is There are positions where there's infinite solutions. Mm -hmm. Like if I hold my hand steady or my wrist steady, you could think I can move my shoulder and elbow Mm -hmm. and my hand will remain steady. Yeah. So there's a lot of different solutions for the same problem. So there's an optimization problem of where is the best place for my joint to be based on some function of different variables and and costs. And and the best part is what you're optimizing for generally for robots is efficiency, either time-wise or Mm energy-wise. And sometimes that could produce undesirable results. Sometimes your robot arm will decide, your inverse math will come out, that going from point A to point B requires your arm to swing way around the space to get to point B. Uh, and having the arm unpredictably do that in the middle of a trade show would be probably about a bad idea. You'd, you'd have the jargons of faces. We'd probably end up hitting some faces. <laughs> so bounding the box to a small space kind of ensured that the joint solution would always be in the same area. So
0: like I'm watching a video of one of these drawings, and it's upside down. Why? Why is that? That
1: is a bug, but here's the best part. It was a bug that ended up being a feature. Okay. Because I decided it was more kind of mysterious to see it drawing things. <laughs> and then the last thing, you flip know. it upside down it looks <laughs> sort of more real. My <laughs> oh
0: God, this, that doesn't look like me at all. Oh, I,
1: I guess. It kind of looks like me. <laughs> Sounds like you know it's like those YouTube videos of people drawing upside down. You don't know what they're drawing until the last second. Yeah, yeah, that that sort of thing. So it was a bug originally, and then I left it in place for fun. But like, why? So another thing that springs to mind with this: you're originally doing that
0: filter layer, just like looking at the boundaries. Why wouldn't you create like look at that, draw a bunch of lines to say like, here's the face outline, here's the nose outline. Yeah. Then layer the triangles on top of that. Because then you could have 50% of triangles, but like it would look more face-like and less geometric. Less geometric. The
1: the, the the part you're skipping over there is how do you get from dots in 2D grid, which is your image, yeah, to vectors or lines, yeah, right? Because you could, if you try to draw an algorithm that says I'm going to cover all of these dots with the minimum amount of lines, you're again up to an NP-hard problem mm-hmm. of like what is the minimum amount of lines to connect all of these points? It's the traveling salesman problem all over again. Yeah. Right, so it, it's a actually a fairly difficult problem to do.
0: But like, if you're just doing the outline of the head, isn't it just you know, all right, Here's kind of half of a circle.
1: Yeah, yeah, you could you could definitely approximate that way. I don't know. I think I think at the time for trade shows, you're always pretty pressed for time. You're doing this between your other <laughs> So I think I quickly found this SVG library, and I was like, yeah, good enough. <laughs> it's more impressionistic this way. So if you're to
0: if you're to think about doing this again today. And I mean, I guess like to think about it from a, from a product side, from a business side, I could see myself in the future going to some awful tourist place, some terrible thing like drag your kids, and all the children are screaming, and like all the adults are sad and wishing they were remained childless. Like places like Disney World, I could imagine there being a robotic arm that draws a picture of a face. I, I imagine that has some staying power as a tourist thing. So let's say it's now, it's no longer 2015 as I've, I've, I've consulted my almanac. It's now 2022. What do you think would be easier about this? What do you think? How do you think would you like it? Maybe you don't need to be free roaming and drawing people, uh, or maybe you can't be still, how do, how do you look at this differently?
1: Yeah, I I don't think in this particular space, much has changed, unfortunately. Really? Yeah, I mean, you can get slightly different robotic arms. There's no more manufacturers of robotic arms. Yep. But the algorithmics for inverse kinematics are pretty much the same. Okay. The drawing end of it, definitely you could do it better. Like, I threw this together as quickly as possible.
0: But I I, I guess I mean like, with stuff like OpenAI and that great tool that we all use that I can't remember the name of, (laughs) that's to be an ad for a billion-dollar company... Well, I feel like you could come up with a far closer to reality, maybe set of strokes. Could you like do something more interesting on the ML level to make there be like, here's
1: the individual vectors to draw? It might be out there. But yeah. I haven't seen anybody do research in ML to generate vectors. The, That's the, the trick here's, here's like a peek behind the curtain of how generating images for Dolly and other things work. Basically they start off with a noise image. So they start off with random pixels and then they iterate that through the through the network that they've trained up until they arrive at the prompt that the person has put in.
0: That's something that like looks like maybe it could be art. That is, for example, 18th century oil painting an army of robots victoriously battling each other. Exactly. Which I may or may not have tried all of my dolly grenades on. <laughs> exactly. Turns out the thing that was limiting me from being a great artist was not my lack of technical ability. It was, in fact, my vision and ability to explain it into something that looked like a great piece of art. That's right. Even Dolly can not make me a good artist.
1: (laughs) But that whole whole framework is built on the idea of the information density of a random array of pixels is high enough that you can kind of suss out almost any image you want. Mm -hmm. And so that's really not working in vectors.
0: Basically, if you squint at any blurry image, you can come up with any blurry image.
1: Yeah, it's a, for the few minutes clip on yeah and it gets a little less blurry. like I, I it need
0: to so I, as a kid I looked at the, the 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 tree outside my window I could see things in the tree imagining whatever that type of thing.
1: yeah, your childhood sounded interesting
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that
1: that whole thing predicates on on these kind of pixel space and mm-hmm. so I don't know that anybody's tried to do that for vectors. so you might generate a more interesting image. I don't know if you could still generate more accurate vectors especially to draw a particular person. Yeah. Uh, Like for Dolly or for any of these kind of generative uh, machine learning algorithms, it's pretty hard just to draw a particular person unless that person is extremely well represented in the training data set. Yeah. So I could say like draw Arnold Schwarzenegger and you get somebody pretty close. Yeah. But but like drawing my uncle Jim. He's a great looking guy. It's going to be very difficult to (laughs) describe exactly what I want drawn. Yeah. So... So yeah, I, I don't know that ML would help us much. But
0: finally, couldn't you just do something like a transform between like here's here's a captured image of a human, turn this into
1: something that looks like it's drawn on a piece of paper, and deduce vectors from that? Yeah, you're you'll still be stuck with the same problem I was stuck with, which again, it's not yeah. definitely not an unsolvable problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's better ways to do it than what I threw together, but you could get better line drawings. Than what I started with, but you're still you still have that translation step of pixel space to vector space, which is challenging.
0: Yeah, Hmm.
1: even actually, if you use open source tools to do that translation, software programmatically, if you look really closely, you'll see every single pixel is represented by an individual line, (laughs) which is definitely not the way you want to do things. Yeah, like that is that is a bad way to convert from from pixel space to vector space. Yeah, so. Definitely not unsolvable, but I don't think anything in the last several years has made it drastically easier than it was back then.
0: Yeah, that's weird to say. As okay. you think there'd be a, a row of people out the door thinking, I want to draw some robots right quick. I, wanted, I, I want my robots to draw my Uncle Jim and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, of course, an 18th century army depicted in an oil painting victoriously running, riding into battle against Napoleon. We're going to have to link that image.
1: People can see what Southern's talking about. But yeah, on that note, thank you for chatting about robots today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for telling me about drawings that are, require even more imagination than my own to to make sense out of. If you are interested in automating things, primarily large things that should not hit other things, you should reach out to us at polymathrobotics.com. Our general autonomy platform makes it really, really easy to automate any large thing so you can focus on the parts that your customers actually care about, like figuring out if there is, in fact, a good business in drawing faces as beautiful as mine uh, on a regular basis. Elia, any other uh, thoughts to close us off with?
1: Yeah, be careful with your robots, kids.
0: (laughs) Join us again next week. We will draw some more cards. We will talk some more robots. Yeah, I I, I keep on wanting to draw cards at the end of these and Elia keeps on shaking his head so vehemently that I think it might fall off. It's part of
1: the fun, the unpredictability.
0: (laughs) Just like machine learning, just like machine learning. And on that note, thanks for joining us. Talk to you all soon. I know.